the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Ready to talk sports with one of the leading sports journalists of today? Welcome to All Around Sports with John Inglesby. John's years of experience as a journalist has allowed him to net exclusive interviews with the top players, former players, commissioners, and owners. John and his guests are ready to give you the straight word when it comes to sports. Now, let's talk all around sports. Here's your host, John Inglesby. Voice America listeners. Welcome to the eighth ever show of All Around Sports. Reach Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. We will go all around the world of sports for one hour to discuss what happened this week and what's coming up for the weekend. To join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net. Well, as always, it was another wild week in sports, and as usual, I will discuss the past week's highlights, lowlights, and bizarre news items that fascinate us all. But today, I will start with my pick of the weekend, so we can all plan our non-sports life around the weekend sports priorities. And for me, this weekend is uh, local up here in Boston, when the United States men's soccer team hosts Spain as in defending and reigning World Cup champion Spain. In a soccer friendly tomorrow at Gillette Stadium at 4.30 Eastern Time. It's uh, scheduled for broadcast on ESPN, so uh, everyone can watch it. And they've already set a record for the most ticket sales ever for a soccer game in New England, which is... uh, which is saying something up here because we've had some big ones in the past. And I last night had the interesting honor and pleasure to uh, be credentialed to attend the Spain soccer practice. And it was absolutely electric. Uh, For me, it was a soccer epiphany. Um, And in the immortal words of Alan Iverson, we talking about practice here. Uh, it got underway about 6.30 last evening uh, at nearby Gillette Stadium. I live about 20 minutes away. And so went over, and as soon as I walked onto what is the practice field for the New England Patriots right beside Gillette, uh, there was just an electricity like I've never seen before. Like many of us, I've, I did not grow up with soccer. It's not necessarily in my sports DNA, but... I've wondered more and more each year, you know, what it's all about, what uh, what international soccer is all about, and the grip that it 
holds on literally the entire world. And year in, year out, I keep increasing my interest and watching more, attending events. For instance, I attended uh, at a Brazilian bar near here in Framingham, Mass. I attended a Brazil World Cup game last year when they lost to Holland. And so I've picked up some flavor along the way, but nothing has ever happened like last night. Uh, The minute I walked on the field, there was just media everywhere, VIP guests, international media, clearly from across the globe, multiple languages being spoken. But it was more just about the uh, unadulterated adoration and interest in this Spain soccer team. Uh, You know, to say that they are like rock stars would truly be an understatement. Uh, They were just absolutely riveting to watch. I saw a couple moves, uh, and it was literally, they were practicing within 20 feet of me. I mean, I was just right there. So for me personally, to see the world's most popular sport played by the best team in the world right in front of me and some of them and to witness some moves that simply I've never seen before uh one of the spain players coming down stopping on a dime pirouetting on a 360 coming down and hitting the ball with his heel and just watching it rocket out like most uh players I've ever seen would hit it with their uh with their instep. And so, again, the energy was just amazing um, to see them walk off the field and everybody just mobbing them uh, for, you know, photographs and autographs and, you know, just to have, you know, this absolute over-the-top interest was, uh, for me, just remarkable to witness And the good news is there's much, much more for uh, as soon as I'm wrapped up with the show today. I'm going to be heading over to Gillette Stadium again, where at 4 o'clock there'll be a USA men's soccer team news conference, followed by practice inside Gillette Stadium at 4.30 to 5.30. And then the Spain soccer team will return from... 6.30 6.30 to 7.30, and uh, there may or may not be you know, player interviews on the field, but I'll be there for all of it. I'll be talking about it on next week's show. It's going to be terrific. Uh, needless to say, I have tickets for tomorrow's game, and I'm very, very excited. I bought them pretty much the day they went on sale and uh, made a great call on this one because uh, I thought it was going to be big, but it's much bigger than I ever anticipated. Currently, they've sold 58,000 or more tickets. Gillette Stadium, as all you NFL fans probably know, uh, seats 68,000 for a full house for a Patriots game, and it's been a full house since they opened in 2002 at Gillette every game. So, uh, you know, but it's all about the passion. The passion of these uh, Fans, particularly Spain, and I can't wait to see the USA passion both this this afternoon and tomorrow. And it's going to be a great weekend uh, of soccer, and I am really looking forward to uh, gaining an even better understanding of the beautiful game. And now I'm going to move into uh, my low light of the week, and I'm going to be sticking with soccer, and that is simply the uh, FIFA. Soccer story, uh, the scandal, shall we call it, uh, of corruption, bribery, and literally an attempted overthrow of the current 
executives who run FIFA by uh, by the English contingent. Uh, it's an absolutely fascinating story. Two people resigned this week. Uh, there was an attempted bribery of uh, officials to, you know, sway votes. Uh, there's been accusations on Qatar getting the World Cup in, I believe, 2022. And just all kinds of stuff swirling around. And in the midst of it all, the incumbent was reelected this very week. And so he's going to stay and uh, probably going to be cleaning house. And a fascinating aspect to this story is that, uh, you know, the sponsors are, shall we say, mildly upset. Uh, Adidas announced within the week, past week that they're sticking with FIFA and they are a, if not the major sponsor, uh, Adidas and soccer go together like uh, peas and carrots, as Forrest Gump would say. And uh, but others, big names, Visa, people like that, are very unhappy. And the situation bears watching as the world prepares for the World Cup in Brazil in 2014. And uh, and staying on the low level and actually dropping a level below that, I'm going to talk now about my low light of the week, uh, or shall we say my bizarre sports story of the week, which could have been a low light, and for that matter, could have been a highlight. And I'm talking, of course, about the resignation of Ohio State football coach Jim Tressel, which happened last Friday, the Friday leading into Memorial Day weekend. Uh, And, you know, I say it's a highlight because it's good to have this guy out of football and but the whole situation is just beyond a low light and is in fact uh nothing short of bizarre you know i don't know what kind of sewer they're running out there but i read the sports illustrated story this week which was absolutely fascinating and i uh, can't believe they've been running this uh this sewer since uh 2002 uh you know, I'm literally looking at the pictures in Sports Illustrated of the tattoo parlor guys. And one of the things that amazes me about this story is, you know, we all know the violations that occurred, the exchange of memorabilia for tattoos, smoking weed with the players and the tattoo guys, and apparently exchanging weed for memorabilia. Um, but Reading about the history of these tattoo parlor guys was just remarkable. And the fact that Ohio State players spent large amounts of time with these people is, to me, the the part that amazes me. And it appears that everybody in Columbus knew it, at least according to Sports Illustrated. So I just find it to be a remarkable story. Um, You know, and it still had a follow-on this week, which was... uh, Terrell Pryor from Jeanette, Pennsylvania, about an hour and a half from where I grew up in uh, Altoona, Pennsylvania. And maybe he broke, let's just say he broke every football and basketball record in the history of the state. And that's saying something uh, from the cradle of quarterbacks. And now he apparently has been driving with a suspended record, and which is utterly. Uh, not surprising at all, and you know he pulled the old uh, lines of you know do they know who I am, and he gets everything he wants from the Ohio State Athletic Department, and 
it's just sad, especially, uh, you know, when I look back and remember that when he was being recruited, Joe Paterno visited his house. He's probably the only athlete that Joe Paterno has actually visited in the last decade or so. So that just tells you uh, what a marquee athlete he, he, has, he was in high school. And I don't, frankly, I don't think his career has turned out that way at all. He'll probably never play again for Ohio State. And uh, for any of you Friday Night Lights fans, uh, the show seems to be running concurrent with, uh, with Terrell Pryor's recruiting and uh, with the recruiting line they have in the show about uh, Vince, the quarterback, currently being recruited, and tonight's going to hit on that topic pretty hard. So couldn't help but be amazed at the coincidence there. And finally, my highlight of the week, which is uh, last night's Dallas's amazing comeback by the Dallas Mavericks over the Miami Heat. Uh, it was just remarkable. They outscored them, something that sounds like 23-5 uh, to five over the last five minutes or so. Uh, Dirk Nowitzki was absolutely amazing, uh, as were the whole Maverick team. Couldn't help but think, uh, you know, it was very similar to what Miami did. Uh, Dallas had a, a two-game lead, and we're up 13 and in, in 2006. NBA Finals, and uh, Miami came back, won the game, won the series, and I can't help but wonder if the roles are about to be reversed here. The Heat looked unstoppable. Clearly, they started celebrating too early, five, six minutes to go on a big uh, three, and Dallas took offense and then just got uh, got down to business and pulled it off, so... It was remarkable to watch, and uh, with the next three games scheduled in Dallas, uh, should be interesting. Will they return to Miami is the big question. And now, as my former co-host, Lemont Williams, from outside the huddle, likes to say, it's time to pay some bills, so let's take our break. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fan's perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network and let's talk football. Do you love sports talk? Can't get enough sports talk? Have we got a show for you. It's about the NFL training camps, Super Bowl previews, a look at the new starting quarterbacks, and weekly key injuries. We'll take your calls and emails right on the air. Former Philadelphia Eagle James Loving is your host, and you never know who'll drop by for a co-host spot or an interview on the spot. Tune in to Loving That Sports Talk with James Loving every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you? It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemont Williams. Each week, join Lemont as he takes callers, discusses the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sits down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. 
Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific for Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or by sending an email to iir at comcast.net. Now, back to the show. Voice America listeners, welcome back to segment two of All Around Sports. And to join the show, the call-in number is one 1- 888-346-9144, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net. And it's that time of the show when we have guests join us, and today I would like to welcome Chaz Scoggins, a former colleague of mine at the Lowell Sun newspaper in Massachusetts, and a longtime baseball writer and one of the official scorekeepers for the Boston Red Sox. Chaz, how are you today? Pretty good, John. You? I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, well, I appreciate you taking the time to call in and join the show. Uh, you and I go pretty far back, and uh, you're still in the newspaper business. I no longer am, but uh, obviously we still get together frequently, and I always enjoy hearing uh, your baseball expertise and wanted to share it with my listeners. So, uh why don't we jump right into uh, your thoughts on the Red Sox these days. And the big news, of course, is the announcement that Dice K. Matsuzaka, apparently he's going to have Tommy John surgery. Yeah, certainly. Uh, I think it was a little bit of a surprise. I think when he first went down with the, with the elbow injury, nobody realized the severity of it. And uh, in a lot of cases, he's had so many minor nagging injuries that the first reaction was that, well, it's just another one, and maybe he'll miss a start or two or a month or something, and it turned out to be actually something serious, and uh, this is a guy who's really avoided serious injury throughout his entire career, both here, both in Japan and uh, and here with the Red Sox, so it's a, it's a, it's a setback in a, in a lot of ways, because as we saw in his first two years with the Red Sox, it looked like he was going to be a star, and then since then, it's been an up-and-down thing, and uh, of course, people who've Go to Fenway to watch him pitch. It's, you know, it's like going to the dentist sometime and getting a root canal without Novocaine because he just it's so painful to watch him nibble all the time. So in some ways, I think if his Red Sox career is indeed over, and it appears that by the time he makes the 12 to 18 months uh, comeback from the surgery, assuming that it does actually happen, and that's not 100 percent certain yet, uh, that you know the Red Sox at that point's contract will just be about up, and the Red Sox will just let him go try and make it somewhere else yeah well it's really been uh quite the saga and tedious at that with dice k uh you know when you go back to the posting fee and the excitement that he generated the japanese media they literally and you would know this better than me they build on uh additional areas to the press box to accommodate the japanese media the souvenir sales of dice k uh materials were just literally off the charts and uh you know it'd be a sad ending i mean he he just seemed to drive people crazy up here you know i I think when he first went on the disabled list uh 
just a few weeks ago that a lot of people thought, you know, the Red Sox were doing what they and other teams do, which is, you know, faking an injury to get the, you know, to basically get his head straight, shall we say, or to, or to get him back on track physically. And, and uh, you know, it's just uh, been a weird, weird story, but certainly an ending that no one could have ever seen or predicted. No, I mean, it was all that when you go back to all the hoopla when they when they signed him, when they submitted the highest posting fee and, and everything. And in terms of what he actually made in salary, you probably can't say he was overpaid. His, his salary is kind of reasonable. It's now around $10 million a year. But when you throw in what that posting fee was, the $51 million, the fact that it cost $103 million to get this guy here to uh, you know, to win as few games as he had or start as few games, it's really worked out to about a million dollars per start while he was here. And uh, we can hardly say that it was really a financial success from the Red Sox standpoint. I think it's in the long run, it'll be a regrettable signing. Oh, I agree, totally. And uh, what makes the situation even a little more ironic, shall we say, is that uh, just the other day during a game, uh, Red Sox lefty, Rich Hill, as invaluable lefty, uh, hurt his arm while pitching, his elbow to be specific, and uh, yeah, that was frightening. I mean, that was just your classic case of, you know, an athlete's life, career, what have you, can change literally in an instant. I happened to be watching live at that precise moment, and you knew immediately this was serious. Everybody did. You could see it on his face, the faces of everybody in the dugout, uh, but what's the outlook on him? It doesn't look very good there either. Well, actually, it's favorable. In the oh. uh, you know, it turns out it, in, you know, I was at the, at the ballpark and I saw him grab his elbow as soon as he threw the uh, through the through the last pitch, and uh, I thought, oh, you know, this this looks really really bad when you see see a pitcher just grab the joint like that. And as it turns out, though, it really wasn't the elbow. Apparently, it's something to do in the forearm, maybe along the lines of a muscle strain. So it may not have been as, nearly as serious as it looked, which would certainly be good news for the Red Sox as this guy is, uh, is pitched tremendously in, uh, in you know, the role of the, of the uh, lefty versus lefty pitcher. Who's, he hasn't even given up a run yet this year. Wow, that's amazing. Well, that's why I brought you on, Chaz, for that recent information. Uh, I was obviously, you know, a, a little bit behind the times on exactly Rich Hill's status. So that's good news. Uh, the bad news, however, is is that the Red Sox were swept in Fenway Park by the White Sox this week. And uh, I know you were at at least one of the games, if not more. And uh, what were your thoughts watching that series? Uh, it's, it's one of those situations, I think, where... Uh uh, I, t- I tend to look at things in terms of, of trends a lot of times, and you know, Lester went into the series seven and one, pitching the uh, the first night, and uh, although he'd been a little erratic lately, kind of felt that he was due for a, for a bad start somewhere in there, and indeed that happened. So I wasn't really surprised that they uh, they lost that game with with the Savas starting game two. He's also pitched tremendously well as in this uh, limited time as a starter. I'm not, a, but his stuff was really marginal. I think as a starting pitcher, and uh, so I wasn't surprised that, that he finally got banged around. The game I really thought they should have won was the uh, Wakefield game, and if they hadn't given the White Sox seven outs in the fifth inning, uh, they they probably uh, they probably would have won that game, where the defense just all of a sudden went south with Dustin Pedroia, the uh, former Gold Glover, involved in three of the four outs that they that they did not get. And the other thing I noticed in the series it was 
kind of fluky in a lot of ways. That the uh, the big hits that the White Sox got in the series were all these little flares where pitchers made good pitches and the uh, White Sox hitters just blooped them over the infield in critical situations that kept rallies going, started rallies, or uh, or finished them off. So it's just one of those things in, in baseball that it's just one of those spells you run through where things just don't uh, go right for you. Obviously, coming into the series, the Red Sox coming back from a 5-2 and two road trip, team that has started 2-10 and ten had gotten back into first place. Uh, they've since fallen back to second behind the uh, Yankees. And, and I feel that probably until the All-Star break, John, that probably the Yankees, the Red Sox, and and uh, perhaps the Tampa Bay Rays are probably going to be playing the leapfrog for the uh, for the next few weeks. And then after the All-Star break in the second half, I look for one of those teams to, to start pulling away. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, it's sure to be, uh, you know... Another fascinating season in the American League East, and maybe the key to the whole race for all three teams uh, is going to be Carl Crawford. Uh, he is the most watched athlete in Boston, the, the side of Zdena Chara these days. And uh, so, what are your thoughts on Carl Crawford? He started bad, got hot, couple game winning hits. Uh, you know, an athlete extraordinaire, which is not something the Red Sox have typically had. So, so where do you stand on Carl Crawford uh, a couple months into the season? Well, let's go back a few months to uh, when when the Red Sox were recording him last fall as as he entered free agency, and uh, all this talk was that the Red Sox were interested in him. And, and John, I could not for the life of me figure out why when when they had Ellsbury. At the at the top of the lineup already, I couldn't quite figure out where Carl Crawford was going to was going to fit into this thing, and I was as surprised as anybody when it, when it turned out that they signed him as a free agent, especially for the for the money that they did. But the big problem here with with Crawford and the Red Sox so far is is what I thought all along: where does he fit in? Where does he bat? Uh, I I love Ellsbury leading off. I love Pedroia in the second spot. Adrian Gonzalez has to hit third. Uh, Crawford prefers to hit second, uh, but if you took the Pedroia out of that spot, you'd have three lefties at the at the top of the order, which which does not look good. Uh, and of course, he, they started him near the top of the uh, the lineup at the start of the year, and he, he got off to the awful start. Uh, now he's batting at the bottom of the lineup, but that can't that can't really stay. The Red Sox did not spend 142 million dollars. For the for Carl Crawford to bat seventh or eighth in the lineup and get 150 fewer plate appearances over the course of the season, you know, not for that that kind of money. But where do you right. put him at? at the, where do you put him at the at the top of the order? Where exactly does he fit in? I don't think he has the power uh, to hit fifth or sixth. And you know, if we get to the power, this is the other thing that kind of the kind of concerns me about Crawford is that I'm starting to get the impression that he's actually intimidated by hitting in Fenway Park. Don't forget, this guy played half his games indoors in Tampa Bay before he came here on artificial turf where the fences uh, were fair. It was a symmetrical ballpark. And even coming into the season, his batting average outside of the, uh, outside of the trop was 20, 25 points lower than it was at home. And while he's had some hot streaks since joining the uh, the Red Sox, you know, lately they've been right. mostly on the road. He's hitting tw- he's hitting thirty points lower at Fenway Park than he is on the uh, and th- than he is on the road. And uh, it's, it's, and also the fact he's also hitting a hundred points lower on grass than he is on turf. 
So uh, he hit a ball in the in the first game against Chicago into the what Carl Yastrzemski used to call the coffin corner in right, right. field. And, yep. and Crawford, you know, he does have decent power. He hit the ball as probably as well as he can hit a ball, and it just died out there. And you can see the frustration on his face when the ball was caught. I just don't think Fenway Park is really a good good park for him. And uh, but you know, obviously the Red Sox are committed to him for the next seven years. I think eventually he will he will get better. But I still don't quite see where he's going to fit fit into this into this batting order the way it's presently constituted. Well, that is absolutely fascinating information. I must say I didn't know. Any of that really, uh, you know, heard a few things along those lines, but you, you put it very succinctly, and uh, frankly, it sounds potentially ominous for uh, Red Sox Nation. Um, you know, he has had a couple game-winning hits, but, you know, everything else you're saying is, uh, again, you know, cause for concern, shall we say, and, you know, we'll be watching. You know, on the other hand, Agon, uh, uh, Gonzalez has been... Tremendous, uh, tremendous addition. He is a, a great pure hitter, and yeah, no question it's be about a, that. I, I was lobbying the Red Sox for two years to make to make that deal, and, uh, and and he's certainly been everything we thought he would be. Absolutely. Well, Chaz, terrific information as I knew it would be. I want to thank you so much for joining us, and uh, you're welcome back anytime. I'm sure we'll have you on again as the Red Sox season. Uh, moves along here in 2011 and look forward to having you uh, in the future, probably sooner rather than later. All right, John, anytime. All right. Well, thanks again for calling in. And uh, once again, it's time to take our break. And when we come back, joining us will be Barry Rubenstein from the New York Post Sports Department and uh, Paul Stewart, Director of Officiating for ECAC Hockey and former NHL player and referee as well. flagship station for sports voice america sports super bowl champ lionel dalton is taking to the internet airwaves with his own brand of sports talk you'll go inside the mind of the players and find out if blacklisting really happens what their thoughts are on training camps where the former nfl players are now and why being drafted by the wrong nfl team can kill a promising player's career. Lionel will also cover what's up with the Baltimore Ravens. Tune in to Sports Talk with Lionel Dalton live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. The revolution has begun with Jim and Trav. Listen this week as Randall Eden, Shannon Young, Josh Fleming, and Joe Hosmer tell us why it's important to get our kids in the outdoors. Plus, Cat Daddy will have some catfishy tips, and Nick Rhodes has a new twist on wildlife management you'll want to hear. This is sponsored by Ram Trucks at RamTrucks.com. Wednesdays at 1 Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. I'm Jim Ferguson. I'll see you on the trail. 
Do you think that all of the generic financial information you get every day is hard to navigate? You need to tune in to Duffy's Financial Playbook. Every weekend, Andreas Duffy will help you filter out this information and turn it into wisdom that you can really use. Be informed about the financial decisions you're about to make instead of just blindly making decisions. Andre's connections in the business and professional sports world will help you so you don't need to worry about your financial success. Tune in to Duffy's Financial Playbook, Saturdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Sports. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or by sending an email to iir at comcast.net. Now, back to the show. Voice America, welcome back to segment three of All Around Sports. And to join the show... The call-in number is 1-888-346-9144, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net. And it's still that time when we have guests join us on All Around Sports. So I would like to welcome both Paul Stewart, Director of Officiating for ECAC Hockey, and former, as well as a former NHL player and referee, and our weekly call-in expert, Barry Rubenstein from the New York Post Sports Department. How are you guys doing today? Welcome, uh, welcome to the show, Paul and Barry. Thanks very much, and uh, it's great to be with Barry. I'm sure he uh, is enjoying the beautiful New York weather today. I love New York. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a, it is a gorgeous day today. It's uh, nice and sunny, a few, few puffy, uh, puffy clouds in the sky, but it's, 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 a, it's a gorgeous day in New York, absolutely. Well, Paul, we, you have a fascinating hockey background, and I'd like you to just take a minute and talk about your background, and then I'd lo- uh, Barry and I and our listeners would love to get your take on the uh, Canucks Bruins NHL Stanley Cup Final Series. So why don't you start off with a little bit about your background? Well, uh, my grandfather and my father, my brother, and my nephew are all officials, and so I'm, I'm one of, of the four generations of officials in the Stewart family. And interestingly enough, my grandfather was the first American to referee in the National Hockey League, then to coach and win a Stanley Cup. And at the same time, he had a career as a major league umpire in the National League for 22 years. Uh, my dad started the hockey program when he was a student at Notre Dame on St. Mary's Lake. And uh, I, I myself participated at Groton School, University of Pennsylvania, although they dropped the program, I, and I laugh when I talk to Mr. Snyder or the Flyers, uh, I think they did it when they realized I was the only graduate who actually made the National Hockey League, so they, they said enough of this program. And uh, then I went on to become the first American to uh, return as a referee and, and, and officiate 1,000 games in the NHL. Wow, that is amazing. Uh... Well, with that type of background, I'm sure you have some fascinating thoughts on Game 1 and the uh, between the Bruins and the Canucks and what everybody seems to be talking about, the biting incident between uh, Burroughs and Patrice Bergeron. What are your thoughts? 
Well, I'm sure Barry would agree that uh, when the trainers give out the equipment, I didn't know that they had to give out floss and uh, and and toothpaste. Uh, it's it's certainly it's certainly not in the scope of our imagination. Anyone who has a particular respect for the past of the game, not to say that these things didn't happen prior to, but when you have uh, the national or international spotlight of the Stanley Cup, and you have this type of activity, and and I, I totally am uh, on contrary opinion of, of, you know, they didn't have enough evidence on, on Burroughs and so on. I mean, the kid's hand is bit, and the linesman's right there. Uh, right away, Bergeron said, hey, you bit me. And uh, I think that, you know, other than other than the autopsy report, I think we've got enough evidence that there was something going on. <laughs> so I think it's it's not something that Rod Gilbert would do, and I don't think it's anything John Belleville would do. I know Gretzky wouldn't do it, and I think in the best interest of the sport, it, it doesn't do well for us. Uh, yeah, I was I was I was really surprised that, that at, at, at this moment it doesn't look, look there's going to be any suspension uh, for Mr. Burroughs. I'm I'm just really surprised about that, and I would think that. You know, as Paul just mentioned, especially with uh, you know this series being on the national and international stage. You know, if, if this were a regular season game in, in January, probably no, nobody would be talking about it. But you know, now that it is you know in full view of the hockey world, um, you know, it almost screams uh, for something to be done. I mean, I think the NHL has come under you know a, a fair amount of heat this year. Uh, you know, with you know, with shots to the head and so forth. Um, you know, I, I just really thought that there'd be a little more discipline here than there has been so far. I mean, I guess that could change, but it doesn't look like it's going to. Um, I'm, I'm just kind of surprised that, that of the of the uh, lack of discipline, shall we say, in this particular situation. At least supplemental discipline, which was always the prerogative of Colin Campbell, and now he's he's reclused himself or replaced himself with uh, Shanahan and uh, Mike Murphy in this particular instance. And with all due respect to Mike Murphy, who I, I like very much, I think that that uh, the, the the invitation was there to do something, and they should have done something, in my mind. They should have set the guy up for him. So, Paul, it's, it's safe to say I, I was surprised there was no suspension. I, I, it sounds like certainly Barry agrees. Do you agree with that? Were you surprised? Totally. And I, I okay. can say that I think that there should have been one game. I think there should have been one game. And I think you look at this guy's track record and he's not uh what you would call the uh the poster child for um playing on the fair side of the law he's he's always on the edge which is fine but on the flip side of it in this particular instance i mean they've got the tv they've got they've got the linesman right there and uh they can't say well the linesman didn't understand what they were saying because rasico speaks french as well as as either one of those two fellows so i you know i'm on the outside looking in but this isn't anything I've ever seen before. Interesting. Uh, well, you know, the other thing about that game, and, and uh, as I was watching, was simply have, you know, having the only goal of the game, the winning goal, obviously scored by the Canucks with 18 seconds to go. What do you think, Paul, will be, you know, the effect on both, you know, I, I, as, as we do up here in Boston, you know, we look at the life through a Boston prism, but... Uh, what do you think the effect of, of the game ending that way with 18 seconds to go uh, with the winning goal will be throughout the rest of the series, both on the Bruins and perhaps on the Canucks as well? I, I see it as a potential 
backbreaker a la the triple overtime loss by the Bruins in the finals on the Peter Klima goal back in the uh, around 1990. I was there for that, and the lights went out. But the interesting thing would be for the psychology of the Bruins to consider that they, they played a great game for 19 minutes and 42 seconds. And I would think that if they came out of the shoot uh, tomorrow night and scored one, two, maybe three quick goals, then in their mind, psychologically, they would have said, we could have won that game and uh, we made a mistake. But I think that, you know, the Boston defense is adequate at best uh, other than Chara. They're, they're okay. They're not the best. And that's, that's fine because the Philadelphia Flyers in uh, 74 won with, with a no-name defense. And I think that, you know, that's something that the Bruins have been able to play with all along and outstanding goaltending has been their, their recluse. So I think that they've been able to save themselves along the way with great goaltending. So psychologically, if they come out and bang in the first goal and maybe get two right away on Vancouver, then I think that all, all will be back to square, and then they'll go from there. But I think that they will go into game two with the idea that this is just a continuation of what, what happened the other night. All right. Well, as long as they don't get a 3-0 lead, we don't like them up here in Boston these days. And uh, the, the recent history has not been good when they're up 3-0 in games or during a game. Uh, so Barry, what, Barry, what was your take? Uh, you know, on the way that game unfolded, winning goal, eighteen seconds to go. What what effect do you think that's going to have? Well, you know, I I, I think I I agree with Paul uh, for, for the most part because I think that that's the game the Bruins have to play against the Canucks in order to win this series. I mean, your defense first, great goaltending. I mean, I think you saw that uh, Thomas and Luongo were both spectacular, and um, you know when. When you can play a game against the Canucks and have uh, neither Sedin get on the scoreboard, you know that 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 says a lot. And you know, yeah, I mean, it was a heartbreaking loss. Uh, you know, I don't know if we'd be talking heartbreaking if that goal had come at you know, say, you know, nine minutes of the first period. The fact that it happened with 18 seconds left makes it a heartbreaking loss. But I think that if you're if you're a Bruins fan, I think you have to be very happy with the way your team played. I think you have to feel that you really have a shot now. Uh, you know, you withstood uh, the charge of uh, a fine offensive team, probably the best uh, offensive team in the league in Vancouver. So, you know, you're, you're, you have a really good shot to get back on even terms. You, you can win one in game two, then you go back home, 1-1. Um, you know, and I, and I think another factor in this series, too, and I think it's going to be the same for both teams, you're going to have, you have a brutal travel schedule in this series, uh, you know, especially with the... 2-2-1-1-1 format. So the longer the series goes, the more fatigue is going to set in. And, that, and fatigue is a great equalizer, too. But I think that, uh, you know, I, I don't think, I don't really think that the, the, the whole heartbreak thing is, is going to be that big a deal, really, at least not in the next couple of games. Um, if they can come back and win game two, then it will have been, uh, it, it will have been justified, I think, uh, you know, with the whole defense-first mentality, which, like I said, that's, that's the way you got you got to approach it if you're the Bruins. And John and Barry, the the interesting thing is that Boston slipped into the finals because they knocked off Tampa one nothing. So all things in hockey even out. They won one in the seventh game against Tampa to advance to the finals. They lost one in the final few seconds against Vancouver. But they still have 
six games to go, potentially Vancouver has to win three, and you look at the Bruins, and I know Tim Thomas is probably as as good a goaltender this year and perhaps in the last two years as there is in the National Hockey League, and I think that uh, you're right. The, the goaltending is what's going to win this hockey team. Well, and then, as you know, Paul, and, and our listeners know, too, in, in, the, in, in the playoffs, especially you know, when you get to, to this far in the playoffs, Defense and goaltending. You know the teams that that uh, you know score eight goals a game. You know those teams usually don't get get that far in the postseason. So you know, that that's what you have to have. Absolutely. Well, it's going to be fascinating to watch. That's for sure. And uh, you know it's going to be great to see him return home to Boston. The the rebirth of hockey here in Boston has been amazing to watch. And I think uh, next week, obviously, win or lose tomorrow night, it's going to hit its peak. And uh, with that said, we're at that time again when we're going to need to take our break, but, but Paul, I really appreciate your coming on and sharing your uh, interesting perspective on hockey, especially with your fabulous background, and uh, and like to have you on again next week or soon, uh, you know, to, to share more. Hopefully there will be a next week for the uh, Stanley Cup Finals. Well, I, I appreciate the break. I, I, I've been busy mulching my, my yard. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, good, then. I'm glad I pulled you away from that. It's nice, it's nice to spend time with you and, and Barry and, and get away from the chores. <laughs> well, wonderful. Well, I hate to say it, but, uh, you know, well, in that case, uh, you know, we'll have to have you on longer next time. <laughs> but thanks, thanks very again. much. And we'll talk to you again sometime soon. And, Barry, I know you're sticking around for some NBA Finals talk. And with that said, uh, we'll take our break now. Your Internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. The job of a professional athlete is never complete. In Life After the Game, host Lamar Campbell will take an inside look at how athletes are making the transition from the professional athletics world to the professional business world. He'll understand the goals, motivations, and personalities that drive these players off the field and in their post-professional career. Tune in to Life After the Game with Lamar Campbell every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. We some hard hitters. We some hard hitters. Hard hitting radio is a new kind of sports and entertainment show. Your hosts are NFL veterans Mark McMillan and co-host Byron Evans. It's an hour of hater-free radio every week. You'll hear interviews with top athletes, celebrities, coaches, and fans. It's humor, hits, and conversation. Hard hitting radio is on with McMillan and Evans. Listen Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Network. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Sports. 
You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or by sending an email to iir at comcast.net. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, Voice America, to the fourth and final segment of All Around Sports. And to join the show, the call-in number is one 888 346-9144 or you can email me at iir at comcast.net and I am still here with Barry Rubenstein of the New York Post Sports Department and uh, Barry, let's jump right into your thoughts on the NBA Finals and last night's remarkable Mavericks comeback yeah, It was pretty remarkable, wasn't it? And especially since uh, Dirk playing with that splint on his finger and uh, you know, I, I think in a lot of ways, that was that you'll. I think we'll be able to look on back on this game, especially if the Mavericks do win this series. We'll be able to look back on this game as you know perhaps Dirk's defining moment as an NBA player. I mean, that's a, that's. I know that's a mouthful. I know he's a great player, and uh, he always has been. But you know, he's always there's always been this kind of whispering, you know, in the background that he's been that he's uh, kind of a soft player that he doesn't. Uh, you know, have have the have the ability to, to follow it through and carry a team. I think we saw last night. He absolutely is a tough player, and he absolutely has the ability to carry a team. And we saw that last night. And uh, this was the Mavericks' uh, second time they've actually come back from uh, from 15 points down in, in in this postseason. If you remember, they did it in Game Four against Oklahoma City. Um, right. You know, they scored you know the 22 five run to close out the game and. Um, it was also uh, the first time uh, a team came back from 15 points down, sorry, in a finals game uh, since 1992. And that was the series, uh, if you recall, uh, Michael Jordan shrugging towards uh, Marv Albert, uh, the Bulls beat, beating the uh, Blazers. So it was, uh, you know, it, was quite, it was quite a game. It was quite an event. And I think, uh, you know, it, the rest of the series – the way it plays out, uh, you know, will tell us. But, you know, if Dallas wins, I think you can look back on that game and, uh, you know, you'll, we'll, we'll be able to look back and say that was the game that Dirk really defined himself and, you know, raised his game and raised his team up. Yeah, good observation, and I totally agree. Uh, it was really special to watch. Uh, I was sort of tuning in and out, and luckily, luckily, I tuned in with, uh, you know, about five minutes to go. Saw they had chopped that little bit off that lead, and uh, needless to say, uh, I, I didn't jump out anymore after that, and it was just fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I think, so I think it's a lot. That's a game where probably a lot of people turn the game off, you know? Uh, right. They kind of figure out, this is over. Uh, Miami's up 2 nothing. Ah. What else is on? Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was just a, an, an amazing comeback. And you know, if, you were, if we remember during the light, we talked about this last week. I mean, the the, uh, the Miami Heat did this pretty much the same thing to the Bulls, and that so they kind of got a taste of their own medicine. So we'll, it'll be interesting to see how uh, both teams react uh, in Game Three, especially as the series now moves back to Dallas. Yeah, well, Miami's been on a serious roll ever since they got uh, won the last two games against the Celtics. Pretty much blew out the Bulls with those great fourth quarter uh, dominations. And, uh, you know, the roll stopped last night, at least temporarily. So the big question is, you know, will with three games coming up in Dallas, uh, I mean, is there any chance that, you know, uh, 
last night's amazing turn of events could allow Dallas to possibly sweep. What do you think? In other words, win the last three games and the championship at home. Uh, it's it's really really hard for for any team to win those to, for a home team to win those middle three games. It's re- it's very difficult. Uh, you know, it's it, it's just you're asking a lot. You know, uh, you know, teams play all year for home court advantage, and there's a reason why why the Heat have home court advantage because they were they were they were the better team during the regular season. Uh, you know, so it's it, it's um, it's a very tall order, and I'm not saying it can't happen. Uh, it certainly can, but it's rare that it does. Uh, I can certainly see the see Dallas winning. You know, Dallas winning two out of three. You know, you almost have to if you're the home team. If you're the da- if you're the, the team that does not have home court, okay. If you're the team with the middle three games at home, you almost have to uh, have a three-two lead going back uh, to Miami for game for game six. If you're if you're Dallas, uh, you know you, you can't go. You can't really expect anything good to happen uh, if, if if you're in a uh, you know if, if you're not. At that level, I mean, it just has it just has to happen. You have you you have to take two out of three. So because um, if you don't, the, the series is over, obviously. So it, it's, right. it is asking a lot, uh, but it can be done certainly. And, and like I said, they they showed a lot last night in doing that. And uh, you know, they keep that up. They keep that, that intensity up. And you know, now they're going home with with the home crowd. And you know, you know, what we haven't talked about is Jason Kidd. And uh, the year he's had, and the series he's having, and there, there's a guy who would love to win a title as as Dirk would. You know, this might be the last chance for both. Uh, probably more so for Jason than for Dirk. But uh, you know, uh, we'll know we'll know a lot more after Game Three. And uh, and they always say that in the playoffs, every game is more important than the one before it. So uh, we'll certainly see that play out in the next uh, next couple of weeks. Yeah, well, it is going to be fascinating. And you know, I just love to watch the momentum. Uh, how it shifts during these series, uh, you know, Bruins, Canucks, or uh, Heat, Mavs. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's just, uh, you know, going to be, it would be sweet justice for the Mavs if they could do to Miami what Miami did to them in 2006. Uh, exactly, it would be. And, uh, you know, like I said, you know, you, you, if, if you're Dallas, you have to be in that mindset uh, you know, obviously you, you take it a game at a time, which is the old sports cliche. But you can't go back to Miami down three two. You got to go go up three two if you're going to have any chance. So oh, absolutely. That, that's what they're. That's what the goal. That's what the immediate goal is. No question. And then the other thing is, uh, you know, the the talk about the celebrating. Did Miami, Miami and the celebrations, often a hot topic. But uh, you know, did they celebrate too early? I mean, I've watched some of the films, and I just thought. Uh, from last night, and I, I didn't see anything that, I, I mean, they celebrated, you know, a big shot that they they thought put the game away, but it didn't seem totally over the top, but yet Mavs took offense, and, and you know, that gave them the swagger and, you know, the, the anger, if you will, to come back and do what they did. So, more power to them, I guess, but interesting to say the least. Uh, and, you know, that's not the only news in the world of basketball. Um... Shaq retired literally within the hour while this show has been going on. And, uh, you know, what are your thoughts about Shaq? Fascinating guy. And, boy, he, he didn't bring his game, but he sure did bring a lot of fun to Boston. 
He did, and you know he's had such a, a, a you know it's, it's funny. Sometimes you, you think about Shaq, you you really forget how long he's been around uh, because he's kind of reinvented himself a couple of times. Um, you know, when he was in uh, in Orlando, he was he, he was almost a cartoon character. In fact, he he's a, he is a cartoon character. He had a cartoon show for a while, uh, right? For, if I recall, um, you know he was he was basically this big guy who dunked a lot. Uh, did Pepsi commercials, and you know you didn't really think of him as much more than that. He was kind of a a fun character. Then he goes to then he goes to the Lakers, and all of a sudden he's winning championships. And okay, you know he's making a legacy for himself. Uh, and then you know kind of a little bit of falling out between him and Kobe in in L.A. So then Shaq goes off on his own. Uh, you know, as more of an elder statesman type of player. You know, in Phoenix, and then again in Boston, and you know. Uh, it's it's a great legacy, it really is. I and mean, he's won championships. He's a fun guy, uh, you know, uh, a, a guy who who will certainly uh, certainly be missed uh, by fans and uh, and uh, by the media. And he's always always kind of fun to deal with. Always kind of fun to hear what uh, what nickname he was going to bestow on himself. You know, the, he was the big Aristotle for a while. He, uh, you know. Uh, the big this or the big that, you know, whatever was was fancying him at the moment. But um, yeah, certainly a great character, and, and, and as it turned out to be a, a great player. So uh, be missed, be missed a lot for sure. Right. Well, all that's left is, you know, uh, they're they're taking suggestions for new and perhaps final nicknames, and rumor has it he may be going to uh, ESPN quickly, and uh, we shall see. But Barry, once again. Great perspective, interesting points. We love having you on the show and appreciate you calling in each and every week. And, uh, you know, we're going to wrap it up now. And once again, thanks for your expertise. And we'll look forward to hopefully talking again next Friday. Yeah, I love being a part of it, John. Thanks. Thank you, Barry. Thanks again for tuning in to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a terrific weekend, and we'll talk sports again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.